Morning, friends. As I think about jumping back into the book of Daniel, chapter 2, I was reminded of a study that was done 70 years ago by a professor by the name of Kurt Rector, who was a professor at John Hopkins University. And he was a psychologist and using rats for a study. And this was before, like, maybe PETA jumped in and, you know, put some parameters on what you could and couldn't do for the betterment of rats. But he has a group of rats, and he put them in a bucket of water. And he wanted to know how long would the rats, who are really good swimmers actually, swim for, tread water for, before they gave up and they died. And he threw some rats in there two at a time in the beginning. And in the beginning, he realized that these rats would actually swim just for a couple minutes, go to the bottom to investigate things, come back up, stop swimming, and they would die. They would drown. And then in part of his study, he actually took some of these rats that had come into the bucket and were swimming for a couple minutes, went and explored the bottom, came back to the top, and just as they would begin to drown, he would rescue them. And he'd bring them out of the bucket of water, and he would kind of hold them, reassure them, give them some respite, and then he'd put them back in the bucket to see how long they would last for. And, and before he did that, that would last just for a few minutes, and within a few minutes, they would drown. But after having rescued them, they would actually swim for days. And he began to think, what, what causes this to happen? And the conclusion in this study, though I abbreviated it, is that they had hope. There was some hope that things would end or that they would be rescued or that if they kept swimming, this would be over. And what he began to study is the hopelessness in humanity that many people give up not because of fatigue necessarily, that there's more in them that could continue to go on. But when someone loses hope, they're quick to give up. And so as we enter Daniel chapter 2, we remind ourselves of, of this story where Daniel and these youths have been brought out of their homeland and have been taken to Babylon. Now they're a minority culture in a dominant society, and they're living in this society that has a set of values, that has a worldview, that has a cultural current that flows away from the things of God, and they have to stand at times against this current, and it's exhausting. And how is it that they will not give up? How is it that they don't just say, you know what, what's the point? Like, Babylon's too big, Babylon's too strong. Here we are serving in government roles for the betterment of Babylon, and our homes have been destroyed. Let's just embrace Babylon. Let's just give up on our faith. Why? It seems like God has abandoned us. Let's just abandon him. And then God, here in chapter 2, does something for Daniel that I think he needs to do for everybody in this room is he gives a vision of hope. He shows Daniel behind the curtain, so to speak, so that his heart is filled with the hopefulness of God, which allows him to endure. It's not that he will lose in his fatigue of things, but he must be strengthened in the hope of things. Would you like that kind of hope today? We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. So grab your Bibles. Go to Daniel chapter 2. I left my Bible on the kitchen counter this morning. So I got an iPad, and uh, I'm going to turn the Bible on, and we'll see how it goes. All right. Daniel chapter 2, and, I, and we have most of this, I think actually all of it, up on the screens. 
Daniel chapter 2, 1 through 3. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. So here's, here's King Nebuchadnezzar. Seems like a lovely guy, doesn't he? I mean, he has a, dis- a dream that's disturbing. I don't know if you've ever had a dream that's somewhat disturbing. And he's troubled by it. And so he calls his council, which is these, this council of wisdom, knowledge, understanding. And they access the dark arts, demonic sources. They look at the stars in astrology. And they try to answer dreams from time to time. And, and we know the, the Bible has a biblical account of, of world leaders seeing dreams before. Perhaps immediately your mind goes to the story of Joseph and Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh has dreams of seven lean cows and seven fat cows, and no one knows what the dream is. And and Joseph steps in and interprets the dream for him, and he's promoted. So this is not unusual that God would speak, even to a pagan king, a dream. What makes this one so unique is that Nebuchadnezzar wakes up in a bad mood, and heads are going to roll, like literally, heads are rolling. And he makes this demand. You tell me first the dream I had. Like, if you're really so wise as you say you are, and you have access to knowledge and wisdom, then you first tell me the dream, and then tell me the interpretation. And the Chaldeans are like, ah, nobody can do that. You know what, king, just tell us the dream. And he says, you're stalling for time, and I know that you're false. And so I'm going to tear your lives apart. Picking up in verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth. Like, it's not just us. There isn't a man on the planet who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magicians or enchanters or Chaldeans. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So they come back to the king and say, King, your request is impossible to meet. There's not a man on the planet that can do it. Only the gods can do it. Only the gods know the dreams. And the gods, they don't pay attention to the things down here. They don't talk to the people down here. They're absent. They're aloof. And so this cannot be done. Well, the king is relentless. And he sends out his chief of all the guards to go round up all the wise men and put them to death. Well, remember from chapter 1, Daniel and his friends have been given wisdom and understanding from God and have been elevated in the king's presence, in the king's service. And so they're part of this group of wise men. And so Arioch, the, the chief priest, now comes to Daniel. This is verse 14. Then he comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, you're part of this group. I'm going to be putting you to death. Then Daniel replied, 
with prudence and discretion. Remember, winsome living. He doesn't reply with anger, with fear, or violence. He replies with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? I love this. He doesn't say, why is the king demands to do such evil? Which then Arioch, who's loyal to the king, would say, who are you to call what the king does evil? Why is this wrong being done? Who are you to say that this is wrong and speak back of the king? No, with prudence, it says, and discretion, he asks this question. What's with the urgency? Why so urgent? And there, it gives, it gives room then for one of the chief guards to answer Daniel. This is what's going on. Then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. This is what's happened. The king's had a dream. Heads are rolling. No one can tell him the dream nor the interpretation. Verse 16, and Daniel went in and requested, made another request to the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel then comes in and makes a request. and says, would you pause the urgency for a moment? I will make known to you the dream and its interpretation. And then this is what Daniel does. And, and when, when these sorts of things happen in our life, where we just feel so caught off guard and don't know what to do, and we're dependent on God alone, one of the first places we should go is back to the community of believers. Go back to the community of believers and circle up and pray. Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Like, he doesn't go solo into this. It's not just he's the lone ranger. It's that he then comes and brings this concern to his friends, and they huddle up. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This is a principle of when you're a minority, a dominant culture in which the current is flowing against you, you don't go at it alone. And he circles up with his companions and they pray. They seek for mercy from God. Let me ask you, where does, where does prayer fall in your life in, in order of value and importance? Would you say, yeah, it's valuable or is, is prayer vital? You see the difference? For Daniel, it's not just a valuable thing that's part of his life. It is absolutely vital for him to continue to live. That's his connection with God. And, and when, when he lives in this culture, when we live in these sorts of cultures, prayer, having a prayer life within community is not simply a high value for us. It is essential. It is vital to be connected to the living God. And we'll see why. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So Daniel sees this dream, gets an interpretation. What he thinks Nebuchadnezzar has seen and what he thinks he now understands about the dream. And by faith, he's going to go to the king and share this. But before he does that, first he worships. First in response is a praise to God. Verse 20, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Now just, just listen to his prayer. Listen to his praise. 
This begins to highlight attributes of who God is. If you don't know who God is, this, this sort of language reveals to you the kind of God that God is. So he says, blessed is the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and in the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have you made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. So, So what kind of God is God? Well, there's all these attributes. He's eternal. He's the first and the last immediately. He's the all-knowing and present one. To him belong wisdom and might, Daniel says. He's the sovereign one. He's the one that sets up kings and takes down kings. That's what we learn in in Daniel chapter 1, that God's the one that was moving in Babylon to come into Judea and then to take Judea, and he allowed this to happen. He's the, he's the divine actor behind all of this. He's also a gift giver of understanding. If you lack understanding and wisdom, what does God tell us? Come to me. Anyone who lacks wisdom and understanding, God gives generously to those who ask. And he does it without reproach. He doesn't make fun of you or belittle you. He generously gives of his understanding and wisdom to us. He's the revealer of knowledge. He's faithful to his people. He's the God of The fathers, Daniel says, you've been faithful to them, you'll be faithful to me. Does this seem like a cruel, judgmental God in heaven that wants to just ruin your life? No, what you have is a benevolent father filled with wisdom and understanding who is present in your life, willing to help in your time of need. That's who God is. And so then Daniel, with this knowledge, goes to the king, and we'll pick it up in verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. So Daniel reiterates what the king's already heard. There's no one on the planet, based on their wisdom and understanding, that can do this for you. They weren't lying to you, but, I mean, I love a but, but there is a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There's a God in heaven that knows what you dreamed. In fact, we probably sent that to you. And he wants to reveal it. He doesn't give this to you so that you're stumped. It's for revelation and for knowledge And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Like, what is to come? Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be or what is to come. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, 
but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king so that you may know the thoughts of your mind. What does Daniel just reveal to the king? He just revealed to the king that there is a God in heaven who dwells amongst men, who dwells with his people, who speaks with his people, who hears his people's prayers. See, the, the magicians and the Chaldeans that came to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, there's not a person on the planet, only the gods know this, and the gods don't care about life down here. They're not hanging out with us. And Daniel shows up and says, there is a God, and he hears our prayers. And he's active in the affairs of men. And he has made known what you dreamed so that you can know what is to come. There's a living God. And he's a divine actor in your life, king. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is going to come to understand. And then Daniel, by faith, tells the dream. Now, at this point, does Daniel know that the, the dream he has in his mind, interpretation, is what the king saw? No, like there's still nothing yet that says, okay, what I actually got last night was from the king, or was what the king saw, what was from God. There's nothing yet that just doesn't say, man, that was bad pizza, and you, you saw some weird stuff, and you, were, you, know, you had a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear in your life, and that manifested itself in some weird dreams, and you're about to tell the king your weird dream, and the king's going to be like, dude, that's a weird dream. That's not what I dreamed. But here's Daniel. By faith in his God. Like, God, you, you really heard me. You responded to me. You gave me what we asked for, which was mercy. This is the dream, okay? And so we're just going to read the dream, okay? The dream is weird. We're going to read the interpretation. It's long, okay? I thought about, should we just highlight it? No, let's just read it. You guys want to read the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. You guys like weird dreams. You guys are crazy. All right. <laughs> Verse 31. This one says, you saw, okay. I just love the bullets. Like, this is what you saw. I'm pretty sure. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. Great image. The word is salem here. It's first used in the Bible of we're going to make man, humanity, in our image, in the image of God, in the salem of God, he's going to make humanity. So here's another image that comes. A great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening, and the head of its image was a fine gold its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out, of, out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces." And became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and in, into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Like, yes! If I'm going to be something in there, I'm the head of gold. But already Daniel is telling him, what? 
the God of heaven has given these kingdoms. Like this whole thing is going to point to a God who's in charge of all these kingdoms. Even though that you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron. Because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of its firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage They will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. That's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. Is an image of one like a man. The image of God, Salem, and here's this image of man that's great, adorned with gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And there's some brittleness and clay to it. And Daniel says, what what God has revealed to you, king, is sequential kingdoms that are coming after you. But the most important thing of this dream is about this rock. This rock that is not cut by human hands. It's not the result of human ingenuity. It's a divine rock. And this rock shows up at a time of this fourth kingdom. And it's going to set up its kingdom that's going to be small and it's going to take over the whole earth. That's the interpretation. Now, here in Daniel chapter 2, this is kind of like the big picture of all of these kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel himself will have a dream that's going to be far more detailed of these kingdoms. And the the dream that Daniel has of these kingdoms is not the outward adornment of how kingdoms want to present themselves in gold, silver, bronze, iron. But he sees the interior of the kingdom and their beasts that devour one another. And so what the dream is about are these kingdoms of earth that God is eventually going to come and destroy. Now remember, Babylon is set up in the historical location of Babel. Remember in Genesis, when, the huma- when humanity spoke one language, they gathered in Babel and they said, let us make a name for ourselves. And in the pride of humanity, they wanted to make a name for themselves. And with their own technologies, they created a tower that would reach to the heaven so that their name and their pride and their strength would never be shattered, would never crumble. They don't want the name of God. They want to make for themselves a name. And here in Babylon is the same 
root disease that lives in all of humanity that we will make a name for ourselves. And what you see in this statue, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar as the head, is Nebuchadnezzar, let me just tell you, all of these kingdoms that set themselves up to make a name for themselves, that people gather in all of these nationalities, and then they try to, by violence and oppression, dominate one another so that they can rule the earth. And it's been going on, and you're in the line of it, and it's coming to an end. Now, the historical interpretation of these kingdoms, which we don't necessarily have time for today, is this sequence historically. Is the God, Godhead of, so the head of this image of gold is Babylon, revealed in the dream. And as we saw, Nebuchadnezzar ruled from 605 to 539, is when Babylon came to an end, when the Medo-Persians came in. And that's Cyrus. And Cyrus is the one that actually frees the Jews who are in exile and allows them to go home, rebuild their cities, reestablish the temple worship. And they rule from 539 to 331. And then in 331, one of the most famous warriors the world has ever seen, Alexander the Great, comes in. This is the Greek Empire for Macedonia. And he rules, as said in this prophecy, the entire earth. And that, people said that of Alexander's kingdom because it went all the way through Europe, through Turkey, Asia Minor, through the Middle East, into India, down into Egypt, the northern part of Africa. He ruled the known earth at that time. And then what proceeded from him was a battle of Carthage where Rome came in and conquered Greece. That was in 146. And they ruled to 400. And if we were to go to some of the details, the historical tradition of this is that Rome is that strong iron kingdom that is brittle within, that's divided. The problem with Rome is that it was always this interior fighting that blew it up from the inside. But if we take just the historical traditional view of these are the sequential kingdoms flowing, remember, it's not the, not the kingdoms of the earth, it's not like every kingdom on the planet, it's these kingdoms in relationship to Israel that brings in this rock, a divine rock, that shows up in this fourth kingdom. At that time, this kingdom of God will be set up, which will begin. And this kingdom will have a humble beginning, a small beginning, and it's going to crash into Rome on a Roman cross. And it's going to begin there. But it's not just about that versus Rome. Do you see that in the text in, in Daniel? It says that all of these kingdoms, it's not just about this fourth one, it's all of these kingdoms. It's all the kingdoms on earth in all the ways that humanity wants to gather and make a name for itself and make a nation that people would remember us and we do it by violence and oppressing others. God is doing something to set up his kingdom. A kingdom in which God himself, this one who is sovereign, who is a loving father, who is filled with wisdom and understanding, who is benevolent. He's going to set up his kingdom. And it will look really small, like a stone. And it will look insignificant, not even cut with human hands. And it's going to crash into the kingdoms of this world. And at some point, it's going to crumble them all. And then it will establish its eternal reign over the whole earth. And humanity that belongs to this kingdom will never perish. They will live in this kingdom forever in its goodness, in its grace, in its life.
So what's the rock? It's Jesus. Jesus begins to set up his kingdom. We just spent a year in the Gospel of Luke, and what was one of what was Jesus' favorite themes was the kingdom of God. And we'll see more explicitly that Jesus loves to quote from the book of Daniel, specifically a title, the Son of Man, the one who's going to come and set this up. And so when Jesus comes, who is this stone that is from, un, from an uncut humanity, it means like God's doing as a divine work. This is what he says. Remember, this is Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 43 says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. To other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus came to preach the good news that all of these ways in which human beings divide themselves and try to conquer one another is ending. And Jesus has come to set up the kingdom of God, a kingdom under God's benevolent rule. And he's going to come preach this good news. Here in Luke 17, people are asking, like, where is this kingdom? When's it going to be set up? This is Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, just look at the end there, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Like, I'm it. I'm here to set this thing up. That one day it'll be inaugurated or consummated. I'm here to inaugurate that one day it'll be consummated. One day it'll be in its full reality and all the kingdoms of earth will crumble and then picking up from Psalm 118, he says this. This is Luke 18, quoting Psalm 118. He looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone, that's, that's Jesus, will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it's going to crush them. It's going to crush them like the stone from Daniel. It's here to bring a destruction, an end to the kingdoms of men that are abusive, the kingdoms of men that exert their power and might over themselves, trying to make a name for themselves. I'm bringing an end to that oppression. And I'm going to set up my eternal kingdom in which those who belong to the eternal kingdom will live forever. And so what Daniel gets, even though he's giving it to Nebuchadnezzar, I think God is giving Daniel a vision of real hope. Because you're, you're sitting in Babylon and you're wondering this. Does God see me? And maybe you're wondering that too. Does God see you? You see what's going on here? Does he care about it? And, and some people are like the Chaldeans saying, only God knows and he don't care. But what the scriptures teach is that God knows. And he is intimately involved in all of this. That he's the one that sets up kingdoms and he's the one that brings down kingdoms. And so what Daniel receives is kind of like pulling the curtain back. Let me show you, Daniel, who's really in charge. And though you're in exile now, you will not stay here forever. And though Babylon seems like the greatest kingdom and it's never going to end, and surely no one can defeat it, it's going to end soon. It'll be replaced by some kingdoms until this rock, this kingdom comes that is going to be set up and inaugurated. And you can be safe and secure knowing that this kingdom is in my hands and you also are in my hands. David Jeremiah had, had said this about this text. He said, you, this, is, this is the vision of hope. You may not know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. Since the whole world is in God's hands, 
Your world is in God's hand. I think you all need to know that today. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what's going on in your world with your family, your marriage, your finances, with friends. I don't know what's going on in your world in, in, in work. I don't know what, what you're afraid of, what concerns you, what you're angry about. I don't know. But God does. And he's intimately involved with your real world. And he's accessible by prayer. That he would speak to you and share with you what's been going on, what is going on, what might go on. He's given you the Holy Spirit, the counselor of God, his words and the community of believers to strengthen you in these days. And so if you've isolated yourself from God, from community, from God's word, this is just an invitation to come back. You can't live against the culture, against the current, against the vision, against the values and worldview that opposes God alone, disconnected from God, his word, and his people. And so Daniel teaches us, be plugged into these things and then see what God would do. I love what God does here. Here's the end of Daniel chapter 2. We'll look at two verses. After hearing all of this, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. Okay, this is, this is a Judean exile in which the king now is on his face before. Could you, could you see that going down? I didn't imagine that was going to happen. And commanded that an offering, an incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Like truly, your God that you worship is the true God, not only of, of Judea, of Babylon, but of the world. I love this. This is, this is Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he will. I love that. Is that you have to know that there are people who have occupied positions of authority over us. And they're not really the one who's really in charge. And their heart is like a stream in the hand of a sovereign God. And he directs it where he wills. And because God has the world in his hands, he has your world in his hands and can be trusted with it. And so I don't know how that encourages you today. I don't know how you've been treading water, doing it on your own strength, and just to be reminded of this great hope, that the God of the universe sees you, hears you, is willing to participate with you and remind you of his activity in our lives. And it's all, it's all rooted in the coming of Jesus Christ to set up his kingdom. It's what was set up, and we long for it to be in full. Let's pray. Lord, we're looking at an old story in which you have used the generations to teach your people who you are about your nearness, about your willingness to engage with us and to help us see the bigger picture. And so, Lord, I pray for my friends that they would lean into this reality of who you are 
in their own personal lives. I pray for any woman or man in this room who has isolated themselves away from your word in prayer or your community. Lord, I pray that they would re-engage. I pray they would be strengthened and encouraged and not feel alone. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us this vision of hope. Help our eyes to see behind the curtain of what you're up to in human history as you direct its traffic. In your name we pray, amen.